Sana Tova. There's an old Talmudic disagreement regarding the time of the year when the universe was created. According to Rabbi Yoshua, fine guy, the world was created in Nisan. Not only because Nisan marks the beginning of spring, and that fits with the birth of new life, of all life on earth, but also because it is somehow appropriate that God will create the world during the same month in which later on God will redeem the Jewish people from Egypt. For Rabbi Yoshua, not by chance, the final redemption, which is the coming of the Messiah, will also happen as the creation of the world and as, the as, as coming out the exodus from Egypt, redemption of the world will happen also during the month of Nisan. On the other hand, Rabbi Eliezer believed that the universe was created on Tishrei. It was not during the blossoming spring that God called the world to exist. It was during fall, when trees are turning yellow and orange and brown. It was during fall when life recedes, when animals start to gather food to survive the winter, that Rabbi Eliezer said that God created life. It was not when it was supposed to happen. It was not when life is flourishing with ease. But rather, it was, it happened at the other end of the calendar. Perhaps Rabbi Eliezer's subtle message is that it requires a lot of faith and a lot of courage to create a new world. Maybe Rabbi Eliezer is telling us even today that if you want to do it yourself, if you really want to become the master of your faith and the captain of your soul, you will have to be able to bet against all odds. Exactly as God did billions of years ago and continues to do every single day since the creation of the universe. So in Rosh Hashanah, we celebrate Rabbi Eliezer's take, Rabbi Eliezer's version. We gather and we declare that it was on a day like today that the world was created. However, there's always a however, there's also a dispute, because that is what we do for a living, regarding what was specifically created on a day like today. Following the Talmud, following Rabbi Eliezer, you could claim that today God created the first light. And with that first step, day and night became one of our basic ways to measure time. Interestingly enough, if you know some Hebrew, 
You can even rearrange the letters of the word Bereshit, the first word of the Torah, and if you mix the letters, you can take from that word the word Aleph Betishrei, the first day of Tishrei. Try it at home when you have time. But believe me. Okay? Yet, according to a later Midrash, and this is the important part, the world was created on the 25th of Elul, which is not today, but a few days ago. And in that case, today we don't celebrate the creation of the world, but rather we celebrate the birth of humankind. Today, we get to reflect on who we are, and we are invited to think about all of our challenges as human beings. From that first day on the Garden of Eden up until this evening. So the Midrash says the following. Let me quote part of the Midrash for you. In the first hour of the day, the sixth day of creation, the idea arose in God's mind to create humankind. By the third hour, God collected the dust to create them. By the seventh hour of that day, God gave Adam and Eve their souls. By the eighth hour, they were brought to the Garden of Eden. By the ninth hour, God ordered Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, not to eat from the tree. By the tenth hour, they transgressed. It only took one hour. By the eleventh hour, they were judged. And in the twelfth hour, they were pardoned. The Holy One said to Adam and Eve, this will be a sign for your descendants, just as you stood before me in judgment on this day and were pardoned, so too will your children stand before me to be judged on this day and be pardoned. The, the, the Midrash, in some way, reminds me of Kiefer Sutherland's TV show 24. Do you remember that show? It's not that old. In that show, just in case, we were able to see how Jack Bauer, that's the name of the main character, Sutherland's character, had to literally save the day from all sorts of calamities. And so in that show, we saw how every new hour brought with it new tensions and twists to be solved. Here in our Midrash, we see the ups and downs of God creating Adam and Eve, and then we see God's newest creations inhabiting, inhabiting the Garden of Eden, eating from the forbidden fruit, being judged for what they did, and then being expelled forever from there. All of that in half of the time that Jack Bauer needs to rescue the world once and again. If the Midrash is correct, if today we are here to celebrate the creation of Adam and Eve, then today is the birthday of the first question to have ever been asked to us. Do you know what that question is? Probably it happened between the 9th and the 10th, or probably a little bit after 10th, after 10, you know, they ate, and then God is walking around, 
And while God is looking for Adam and Eve, the first question ever to be asked on a day like today, many, many years ago, that question is Ayeka. That question is, where are you? And it's a powerful question. Forget for a moment about the answers. Forget for a moment about the biblical story as well. Let the question hit you with all its might. Ayeka, where are you? Religion is an answer to man's ultimate questions, wrote Heschel in his magnum opus, God in Search of Man. The moment we become oblivious, oblivious to ultimate questions, religion becomes irrelevant and its crisis sets in. The primary task of philosophy of religion, said Heschel, is to rediscover the questions to which religion is an answer. I tend to believe that we don't like to deal with those ultimate questions. We don't really like them. They bother us. They disturb us. And that happens for a good reason. Those questions try to expose us to our deepest vulnerabilities. They try to rob us from anything we could use to cover ourselves. And we, obviously, are uncomfortable with that. People usually believe that Adam and Eve hid behind the bushes because they became conscious of their outer nakedness. But maybe God's question, God's ayeka, God's where are you, actually uncovered those hidden places in their souls that they didn't want to show to anyone and not even to themselves. Maybe it was about the sadness behind the smile. Maybe it was the fear behind the apparent resolution. Or maybe it was the gloom that presents itself when no one seems to be looking. But then God asked, and they felt naked because they knew that something like that was actually true. So as Adam and Eve, today we are also summoned to reflect on where we are in life. Today we are summoned to recognize that it's pretty hard to be exactly where we want to be. It's pretty hard to be always riding the wave or enjoying of a long time inhabiting a sweet spot. Real life we know it's harder than that. And sometimes we can feel that we are not where we would want to be. And actually, sometimes we can get angry or frustrated or very, very sad because of that. And eventually, we can even think and even feel that we are such a failure for that. But the fact that we are not always exactly where we want to be doesn't make us a failure, but rather it makes us average human beings 
coping the best we can with our own circumstances. Nothing more. Nothing less. So today, we can openly say that at certain moments in our lives, we all feel like there's something missing. We can all say that sometimes we feel as if we were completing a puzzle knowing beforehand that it is lacking some of the main pieces. And that feeling doesn't make us weird. If, any, if anything, that feeling is a profound confirmation of our own humanity with all its flaws, with all its virtues. That is who we are, and it shouldn't be a source of embarrassment. It is from that imperfect humanity that Rosh Hashanah invites us to cope with those feelings, to explore, expose, and deal with those feelings, and to do our best to make the most out of who we are at any given moment. To think about what's missing in our lives is important, even if painful. In that void, we can find the space to keep searching. And from that void, we can address the ultimate questions in our own lives, in our dealing with that existential questions, and with that existential emptiness. We can hopefully find the strength to keep on going. When we don't hide from the void, from the emptiness, from the questions, when we don't hide, we can understand how fundamental it is to surround ourselves with good and reliable people along the way. We can see how the relationships we are able to nurture, how, how our families and friends how the community of people whom we love and trust are there to lend us some of the pieces from the puzzles that are missing. They can help to complete us. They can be there to mend some of our own shortfalls. They can make us better, and we can make them better as well. And life is mostly about that. We travel together, we cry together, and we laugh together. We celebrate and we mourn. We create meaning and we help repair this broken world together. And that's it. One of the fundamental ideas of the so-called American dream is that of the self-made man. In a famous lecture, from 1859, Frederick Douglass said the following, Self-made men are the men who owe little or nothing to birth, relationships or friendly surroundings, to wealth inherited or to early approved means of education, who are what they are without the aid of any favoring conditions by which other men usually rise in the world and achieve great results. The concept of self-made men seems to imply that we can achieve greatness by ourselves. 
without counting on anyone's help or assistance. Well, nothing is farther away from the Jewish perspective than that. Today, as Jews all around the world come to celebrate the beginning of a new year, we also remember that Adam wasn't created alone, and that according to the opening chapter of Genesis, the first man and the first woman were created together and on an equal standing. I know that the second chapter of Genesis has a better PR, and so we believe that Eve came from Adam's side. Or read. But go back to Genesis 1 and you will read that the first man and the first woman were created together at the same time on an equal standing. So it may be true that we are all lacking something. It may be true that we are all dealing with what is missing in our lives. But we can do that together. And we can become stronger and more resilient together. Rosh Hashanah doesn't come with the guarantee that we will be able to solve all our problems. It doesn't promise us an easy life or any good fortune. Judaism knows that life can be hard at times. Our tradition doesn't trick us with empty promises. If anything, Rosh Hashanah summons us to share some time together to acknowledge our faults and to commit to look for some of the ultimate questions that may help us rediscover our path in life. With no promises, with no guarantees, but with the blessing that blossoms when we do that together. At the beginning of these high holidays, I want to leave you with a quote from the Austrian writer Rainer Maria Rilke who in a letter addressed to a young colleague wrote the following. I beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday, far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. Ayeka. Where are you? Where do you want to be? And what can you do in this new year to get closer to your personal sweet spot, to your personal garden of Eden? Leave the questions now. Perhaps then, someday, not that far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, Live your way into the answers. May we all have a blessed and meaningful year.